It's the Americhicks with Kim Munson. The most important stories. That seems to me like government is establishing a religion. The latest in politics and world affairs. If you give people rights, women's rights, gay rights, whatever, there can't be equal rights if there's special rights. And opinions and ideas that prepare you to tackle the day ahead. Surveys show that, that people still really prefer freedom versus force. It's the Americhicks dissecting issues as right versus wrong instead of right versus left. Agree or disagree, let's have a conversation. Indeed, let's have a conversation. Welcome, I am Kim Munson, and we're going to have a conversation about some pretty important things out there. Uh, Thrilled to have uh, in our third and fourth segment will be Randall O'Toole. He's with the Cato Institute. He's written a really important piece that was in Complete Colorado. And uh, apparently uh, CDOT is uh, thinking about, uh, well, they're going to do a study for $2.5 million dollars on building a uh, rail line from Pueblo up to Fort Collins so that you can go from Pueblo to Fort Collins really, really fast. So that's going to be an interesting conversation, Steve. Between, you know, let's play names or games with names here. Between RTD and CDOT, I don't know who our biggest friend is (laughs) or who the bigger friend is. Yeah, well, um, you can see there is this movement to get you out of your car that you like and onto... uh, uh, a train. You know, did you know there's a remake of the movie Planes, Trains, and Automobiles? Really? Yeah, it's called Trains. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we've got a lot of things to talk about today, but, you know, ultimately, you know, all these questions, it comes down to freedom versus force, force versus freedom. And it is never compassionate to take other people's rights, their property or freedom, or push them into something that they may not want to do via force, whether it's with a weapon policy or unpredictable and excessive taxation. And ultimately, socialism comes down to force. It always has to. And you take a look at Venezuela. As as you know, the, the term Nazi stands for the National Socialist German Workers' Party. And there's this big romance that's going on with socialism right now. And ultimately, it comes down to force. And surveys show that Americans still like freedom. And that means that we have to stand up for that. But, Steve, what's happening is you're seeing public policy that is being used to to socialize transportation, education, energy, housing, and water. And that is why we need to understand these issues and then start to to engage in this battle of ideas out there and get our brains around these issues so that we can move this window back towards freedom. And uh, before we jump into all of this, thank you to the team. Steve, you know, I greatly appreciate you, Producer Steve. Thank you. And uh, Zach, Patty, Keith, and Charlie, I appreciate all of you for your hard work. And to you listeners out there, thank you. You are valued. You're treasured. You've got a purpose today. And uh, and go out and do that. So we'll talk about some headlines uh, jumping in here. First of all, inspiration. Since we're going to be talking about trains and cars... Uh, you remember Lee Iacocca. He was the uh, one of the big wigs with Ford and with Chrysler, one of the few people that uh, had ever been you know, in management for uh, two of the top three car manufacturers. And uh, he, was, um, he was just a real icon. And I, I missed it. He, he died, I think he was in his 90s, a couple of days before the 4th of July this year. And uh, anyway, this is his quote. He says, the great issues facing us today, and this was back in 1984. I thought that that was kind of funny was the year 1984. Okay. He said, the great issues facing us today are not Republican issues or Democrat issues. 
The political parties can debate the means, but both parties must embrace the end objective, which is to make America great again. That's awesome. Yeah. 30, 30 plus years before you know, Donald Trump began his quest for the White House, and we all know what, you know what his theme was. And here's another thinking man, a businessman, successful businessman, wanting to keep America great or make America great. Awesome. I, 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 I totally agree. So, okay. Here's, here's a little ditty. Now, look at the way his name is spelled. Oh, yeah? I can't get my eyes close enough to this. I-A-C-O-C-C-A? Yes. And some smart person looked at it after you know he got involved with Chrysler. I am chairman of Chrysler Corporation of America. <laughs> Pretty creative. Very. <laughs> Pretty creative, so... So uh, never mind. I was going to, I wonder what, what our last names are acronyms for, but I can't come up with anything on that right now. Not so. like that one, no. <laughs> no, for sure. Okay, today's funnies. You know, we need to be careful about being too self-righteous. So here you go. The train was about to pull out of the station. Swinging a large bag, a young man managed to reach the train, throw his bag in and climb aboard, and he was gasping for air. Looking at him, another man said, Young man, you should be in better shape. At your age, I could catch the train by a gnat's whisker and still be fresh. Uh, Looking at you, uh, panting away, or looking at you panting away, the young man took a deep breath and said, Pop, I missed this train at the last station. (laughs) Oh, that is so mean. (laughs) Sorry, the oh. cursor wasn't in the right place. But <laughs> nobody's more surprised than I am. Was that Santa Claus that I heard? <laughs> I thought I thought that was Santa Claus laughing at my it joke. It was. Chris, uh, the cursor defaults to the top of the screen, and it's Christmas. Santa, <laughs> Merry Christmas, sleigh bells, blah. Well, I tell you, it'll be here before we know it. Yeah. <laughs> okay, let's jump into some of these headlines. I think the first one I want to go to is uh, not only has Governor Polis and the state legislature uh, working to kick the oil and gas industry out of Colorado, now they're going after the beef industry. Uh, This is from thefencepost.com. On the heels of a devastating downturn in the federal cattle market, Colorado Governor Jared Polis has encouraged employees of the Department of Agriculture to start thinking of ways to include meatless products as they go about their regular work. Uh, Joey Bunch reported for Colorado Politics. Uh, Terry Frankhauser, executive vice president of the Colorado Cattlemen's Association, said while there have been varying reports of what the governor told CDA employees, the outcry of producers within Colorado's 3.4, I think it's, um, they say million, but I got to think it's bigger than that. Yeah, I had the same thought. Yeah, okay. has been clear. We'll, We'll clarify that. For Colorado Senator Jerry Sonnenberg, the governor's comments were a continuation of his war on the rural portions of the state. It infuriates me that you take the largest economic driver in agriculture and you poke them in the eye, Sonnenberg said. The governor poked that industry in the eye by saying, hey, Department of Ag, why don't we work on doing meatless or fake meat? Uh, (laughs) Does that go along with fake news? I I wonder. Uh, From my perspective, I guess the whole theme around that whole thing is fake, right? Okay. From From my perspective, it continues the war on rural Colorado 
That's our livelihood out here. Sonnenberg said he recognizes that Colorado products are used in some vegetable-based proteins, but said Polis's move is intended to pick winners and losers. Uh, a force, once again, force. According to a source within the industry, it is yet to be seen whether a cash-funded agency will seek alternatives to traditional agricultural product production under the governor's direction. If I raise soybeans or corn, I would rather sell to somebody that feeds cattle or hogs than somebody who eats my product, that burger, once every two or three days, he said. Sonnenberg said the move crosses the line in terms of the proper role of government. You think, Steve? You know... I have a good memory, uh, well, on some things. I vividly remember being a three- or four- or five-year-old at the most and sticking an, either a knife or a key into an outlet with the predictable results. <laughs> Polis reminds me of a little kid running around sticking metal objects into outlets, and I don't know why. Um, I wish I was better versed on the actual proper role of government, or more articulate to say it. But what does this have to do with the role of government? Well, and government, you know, as we are doing our Federalist Papers study, a study of the Constitution, the unique thing about the American idea is this social compact that we have with government is that government is put in place to protect our rights. And those rights are life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. And so that what that basically means is, is that we can go out, we have the dignity of work, we can go out and work and um, keep most of the fruits of our labor uh, for ourselves and our family. And this legislature and this governor have things totally out of whack. Of course, you can look at the Democrat candidates as well, that they think that government is the God and that government should be making all these decisions about our lives. And um, the and using they're using government dollars. They're using money that they are taking from us to then go out and try to shut down an industry that is so key to the uh, the idea of Colorado. I mean, Colorado is built on rural Colorado, these rugged, individualistic uh, spirit of Colorado, which is, I think, one of the reasons that so many people have moved here, because there's kind of that romantic idea of what Colorado stands for. And uh, it is beyond belief that uh, this is what they're what they're doing. And I, I want to circle this back, Steve, and, and come come with me on this, because there's going to be this big assault to get rid of Tabor, the Taxpayer's Bill of Rights. And uh, they're, they're matching that up with the Gallagher Amendment, which we had Dennis Gallagher on recently and also uh, former Senator Ron Stewart, both Democrats who uh, were the uh, the architects of the Gallagher Amendment. The Gallagher Amendment was put in place to try to keep uh, property taxes, as they said, fair. So there's this this mix. Uh, 55% of property taxes are to come from the commercial side and 45% from the residential side. Uh, and then what has happened with Tabor is that the... the um, Assessment rates have gone are, are a little bit out of whack, or people might say they're out of whack. Twenty nine percent for commercial, seven percent for residential. The reason is is because we've had growth and we've had appreciation in values on the front range. So that's why we've gotten out of whack a bit. And it has um, actually, I'm not going to say it, I shouldn't say it's out of whack. It is what it is to keep it at fifty five and forty five. So what has happened though is out in the rural areas. Some of uh, these little counties uh, and fire districts 
as that assessment rate has ratcheted down all, all over the state, if you're not having appreciation in, in values, it is starting to squeeze um, squeeze some of the rural areas a bit. And so that is something that needs to be fixed in talking with Dennis Gallagher and also with Ron Stewart. There can be a surgical fix to to remedy that problem. But what you're going to see is this real this narrative that's going to be put out that this isn't fair to the rural areas and we need to get rid of Gallagher and Tabor's been tapping this down and it's been such a problem and we need to help the rural areas. I've been in meetings. I've seen this. And as you can see right here, this this uh, legislature and this governor don't care about the rural areas if they are actually going out and using government money to try to come up with products that could put the beef industry you know, in in a, um, you know, I mean, ultimately could try to put them out of business. In a bind. Yeah, in a bind. That's probably a better word. And so when we hear the narrative from uh, Polis and this legislature that they are concerned about rural Colorado, I don't think you need to look any further than this, Steve. Well, their their words betray, or I'm sorry, their actions betray their words. And it's it's been this way now since January. It has been. And so we need to continue to understand this because what they say and what they mean are two different things. And we'll need to remember this at the ballot box. Uh, let's go to break. We have some more, some more headlines that we need to go through. I thought we'd get through more in this first segment. But I think this is so important to understand what is happening with this governor and with this legislature. And it's across the spectrum. This is Kim Munson. We'll be right back. Looking for an awesome place to host your draft party? Look no further than Hooters. With tons of TVs, free Wi-Fi, world-famous wings, and ice-cold beer, you're probably thinking, it doesn't get any better than that. But wait, at Hooters, it does. Every fantasy league gets a free draft kit and over $200 in Hooters swag. Join us for fantasy football done Hooter style. Book now at Hooters.com slash football. That's Hooters.com slash football. See you at Hooters. You want to succeed, so you need to dress for the job, event, or relationship that you seek. For over 30 years, entrepreneur, stylist, and Americhick Kim Munson has been helping women look their very best. And guys, Kim can help you with made-to-measure shirts that fit great and you'll love to wear. Guys and gals, if you want to up your game and freshen your look, email Kim at Americhicks.com for your initial style consult. Kim at Americhicks.com. All Americhicks sponsors are an exclusive partnership with the Americhicks and are not affiliated or in partnership with KLZ or Crawford Broadcasting. If you would like to support the work of the Americhicks with Kim Munson and grow your business, contact Kim at Americhicks.com. That's Americhicks.com. Hey, welcome back. I am Kim Munson. We are dissecting issues as right versus wrong instead of right versus left, agree or disagree. We are going to have a conversation about some important uh, headlines in this uh, segment. In segments three and four, we'll be talking with Randall O'Toole with the Cato Institute. He has uh, actually dissected this uh, proposal or this this request for information. It's going to be a study um, $2.5 million that CDOT is spending. I thought I thought we needed a lot of money for roads and bridges, and uh, actually they're going to spend $2.5 million um, to do a study about a train from Pueblo up to Fort Collins. You know, Steve, for half that, I could tell them that people like to stay in their cars. 
Okay. Well, will you split the half with me? Well, if I maybe let's do a quick study and and uh, uh, yeah, I definitely would. Actually, I was talking to Patty. She wants part of it too. Okay. Granted. So, th- how about the three of us? All right. So, uh, okay. Let's see. The next seg- the next one. I think that we need to talk about, and you brought this up, and that is the Aurora Ice Facility. It says Aurora may require immigration detention center to report disease. Um, Aurora is considering whether to require this detention center employees to promptly notify health officials of infectious disease outbreaks. Aurora City Council members gave preliminary approval Thursday to requiring such notification within 48 hours of discovery. The Sentinel, Sentinel Colorado reports the proposal follows a spate of chickenpox and mumps outbreaks at the privately owned and operated Federal Immigration Detention Center in Aurora. The facility had 15 reported cases of mumps and nine of chickenpox from the beginning of 2019 through mid-March. Facility officials implemented a vaccination program after the outbreaks. I wonder who's paying for that. Okay, uh, and uh, and you, you would think that actually, if they were coming across the border, I mean, all the way up here, they're getting all that stuff up here. So the facility facility also came under fire for its handling of disease outbreaks and use of restricted housing for people who need to be separated. The ICE acting director said some sick detainees are separated at their request, others for discipline, disciplinary reasons. And as of August 9th, there were 12 people in solitary rooms and one case of chicken pox. I mean, it just kind of makes sense that you might separate these people out if they have an infectious disease, Steve. If you've been keeping your ear to the ground, every oh, month, every other month or so, there'll be a little blurb about the uh, incidence of measles cases. And then it kind of just quietly goes away. And like, well, where did it come from in terms of the report? And then why doesn't anybody follow up on it? And most of all, why won't anybody talk about the potential source of the measles outbreak or potential of measles outbreak? All these infectious diseases. Where's where's it coming from? But nobody wants to talk about it. Well, boy, and that segues into, you know, we... uh talked a lot about this uh, in this last legislative session regarding this forced vaccination of our children. And, you know, I, I, I think vaccinations are a terrific idea, how I'm really concerned about this whole forced thing. Now, it ended up not passing the legislature, but I'm hearing with my ear to the ground that there's going to be cousin of that in this next legislative session. And the danger that we're seeing, and I think there's a couple of things. First of all, these folks that are going to be pushing forced vaccinations. And, you know, I think we think it's all a good idea that we vaccinate, you know, measles, mumps. I mean, I think that's a good idea. However, the forced component is what I'm so concerned about. And, and, and I don't think that folks out there realize that potentially what could happen is you'd have an unelected board that would mandate that you would have to get certain vaccinations, and that list can get bigger and bigger and bigger. And so that's, that's out over there. Then, Steve, to your point, clearly we are bringing some of these infectious diseases. They are coming across the border, and that would be another reason why we would want to our, our, get a handle on all these people coming across the southern border. And uh, so I, I laud the uh, Aurora City Council, though, for wanting to make sure that we know what's, what's out there. I think that's pretty darn important. So, and with school starting, that's, uh, I think that's important as well. Uh, let's see. Let me, there was one. 
Oh, I found this interesting. This, let's go to national, Steve. The Trump administration tightens rules for immigrant work permits. And when, as I read the headline, I, I know that, uh, you know, I know there's people that come over here and they work legally, um, you know, in um, like the tech field. And so I'm kind of like, well, gosh, I, and, and I know of some folks that were working here, had lived here for several years, actually had a house. And as things got tightened up, they had to go back to um, uh, South Africa. So I'm thinking, gosh, I, I wonder if that's really a good idea, because I think we're talking about illegal immigration. But as I read this piece, it says the Trump administration issued new policy guidelines Monday, tightening the rules for the awarding of discretionary work permits to immigrants who have been temporarily allowed into the United States for urgent humanitarian reasons or significant public benefit uh, under the Immigration and Nationality Act. The move came a week after the White House issued a long-awaited rule strengthening the ability of federal officials to deny green cards to immigrants deemed likely to rely on government aid. The USCIS has determined that it is necessary to issue this guidance at this time because there is a national emergency at the U.S. southern border where foreign nationals are entering the U.S. illegally, the agency said in a statement. U.S. Customs and Border Protection encountered 82,049 people in July. That's down 21% from June where, when there were 104,344 people uh, and down 43% from May. I mean, this, these are astounding numbers. The number of families and minors crossing the border also dropped. Although seasonal declines are common, U.S. officials said the drop was far greater than last year's in the same time frame. To avoid punishing tariffs threatened by the Trump administration, Mexico agreed in June to to dramatically expand its border enforcement efforts. The country has employed a variety of tools, including a giant X-ray and Mexican National Guard troops to uphold its end of the bargain and catch hundreds of migrants. I find that fascinating. What do you think, Steve? It, it's just, it defies description when you take practical common, common sense, sense <laughs> steps you know, and get the Mexican government on board to saying, hey, you have a hand in this too. You have a role to play and you haven't really been doing a good job for the last whatever time frame you want to use. And here, let us help you a little bit. Mm-hmm. Let me let us give you a little incentive, and look what the outcome is. Yep, and we're seeing it across across the board as common sense um, actions, but that that Trump is you know uh, instituting across the board, and we're starting to see results. Uh, before we go to the next headline, you had mentioned that the Democrats have they have the three R's that they've been going after Trump on. And uh, expound on that, Steve. We've seen the montages. Uh, they're fascinating to watch. When somebody puts out a narrative and then all the uh, news sources, quote-unquote sources, and then you see the montage of every talking head, and they're saying the same words. And you know they're in different cities. They're in different time zones. It's like, how do these people get the same verdict? Narrative, yeah. Yeah, well, okay. Here. <laughs> Now I see I've seen two little or two similar situations on the more you know right side of the fence or the more conservative side. Laura Ingram was one of them, but basically the three R's. What what the left is doing, and we all know that the desperation that's coming uh, from the left it seems to get more and more heated up as 2020 approaches. But they talk about the three R's. Um, 
And they are Russia. Russia. They, you know, the first one was Russia, and then, uh, you know, that certainly fizzled. And now they're, you know, they're big on the racism thing. And the next one will be recession. Anything to divert the attention, and possibly get people thinking. Well, there, there's got to be something here that we can hang on Trump. Yep. Yep. So uh, the three R's there. And I'm going to go to the next headline, but Patty just texted me. She said, per the Cattlemen's Association website, cattle production is Colorado's number one agricultural commodity with 2.7 million head of cattle. Approximately 60% of the state's 7.1 billion in agriculture cash receipts are attributed to livestock. So it's 4.26 billion. She's amazing. You know what? Just amazing. So uh, one other headline before we get to Jason McBride. You know what? He may want to comment on this as well. Jason, we're going to bring you in on this one, okay? Sure. Guess what? This is from uh, fee.org. That's Foundation for Economic Education. says the post office is on pace for its worst year since its 2012 default. The United States Postal Service on Friday, this last Friday, or on 8-9-2019, reported total revenue of just over $17 billion for the third quarter of fiscal year 2019. Total operating expenses came in at $19.3 billion. The net loss of nearly $2.3 billion comes on the heels of an already bleak fiscal year that saw a combined loss of $3.6 billion, uh, $2.1 billion in quarter two and $1.5 billion in quarter one. It says through three quarters, the $5.9 billion in losses already exceeds annual losses for the previous six years and puts the United States Postal Service on track to exceed $7 billion in losses for the first time since 2012. Uh, uh, what, what do you think about that, Jason McBride? Uh, how can a company do $17 billion in revenues and not pay one dime of taxes? <laughs> That was my Bernie Sanders impersonation. <laughs> that was a good try, Jason. I I was I wasn't sure if it was Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren. Sorry. Well, I was going to do Elizabeth Warren, but you can't hear a smoke signal. <laughs> oh, oh, oh boy! <laughs> you should see Steve on that one. Okay, so yeah, I hadn't even thought about that, Jason. Here you have a company that's not paying a dime in taxes. Of course, they're competing with uh, FedEx. And I have to back up on an individual basis. I have people that work for the post office, and, and I love them dearly. This is, We're talking on the macro level, okay? Right. Um, uh, that you have a company that is not paying a dime in taxes, uh, and they're competing against private enterprise. We're using government to fund it, and yet we have these staggering losses. I, I mean, something needs to be done about it. Um, what should we do? Well, I don't know. It almost sounds like you're saying there ought to be a law, which usually ends up getting <laughs> no. us in trouble as well. So, uh, you know, Kim, I'm not the saying one that. advantage no. the government has is they can continue to operate at a loss every single year and still stay in business by either printing money or tapping our pockets to make up the difference. Or the third thing, Jason, and that is is borrowing from our kids' future with oh, this with this with this debt. And you know, I think that we need to really get serious about this. We can't continue to kick this this can down the road. We're, we've got to get serious about this deficit spending and uh, they've they've got to get their their act in order over at the post office. And I think a big part of it is 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 the you know the the whole pension system. We've we've got to sit down and really talk about that because there's 
all these liabilities out there that we're passing on to the next generation. And we have a responsibility, I think, Jason, to, to sit down and have these hard conversations here and now. Well, I think you're right, Kim, and it, it is kind of a tough, tough deal. We uh, hear about the government pensions, some of which are very rich, and uh, the newer ones, which they aren't as rich as many people think they are, but they're still pretty strong, and, you know, we get mad, and, well, gosh, that's taken up the whole thing. Uh, but on the other side of the coin, uh, the people that that work there that, you know, have kind of come to depend on that and expect it, you know, it's tough to pull the rug out from under their feet when they're late in their career, too. So it is a catch-22, and I think maybe we just need some different leadership that's going to approach the post office as a business that needs to compete and figure out, you know, ways to cut the red tape. Maybe we should just let maybe uh, Donald Trump Jr. Uh, run the post office. Well, that would be Get that a would businessman be, in there. That would be interesting. So, yeah, I'm. I uh, thank you. I, I I just wanted to to noodle that around with you. And no problem. And uh, over at Presidential Wealth Management, I mean, we're talking about the big picture, but what really matters to people is their own individual uh, personal well-being, their economic well-being. And um, that's why I think you're starting to hear these uh, recession words out there by the Democrat candidates is because people, I think, are feeling pretty positive about the economy. And uh, it is a good time to sit down with you guys and do a discovery session over at Presidential Wealth Management to kind of make sure that you take a temperature and know exactly where you are on your personal economy. Yeah, it is very, very helpful. Uh, You know, I've had folks come in uh, over the last few days actually that have done those several and it's interesting what what you find out as far as the results uh sometimes you're you're already past the finish line and you don't even realize it and maybe you're taking more risk than you need to kim where you take a big loss now you're you're you know you haven't crossed the finish line again you know and then then there's some folks who's expectations may be a little bit high. Uh, I'm not saying we need to temper them, but uh, to meet those or to have what you want, uh, maybe you have to make some adjustments, work a little longer, uh, think about things a little bit differently. So it's always good to have a clear picture of where you are on that road because uh, remember, these days retirement can be uh, 25, 30, even 35 years with our longer life expectancies and in our earlier retirement that a lot of folks want to participate in. So, yeah, so people need to plan accordingly. And uh, you and your team over at Presidential Wealth Management can help them with you or help you can help them with that. And so uh, the landing page is chickspresidential.com. That's chickspresidential.com. And then Natalie will be at the switchboard at 730. And that number is 303-694-1600, 303-694-1600. Jason, thanks so much. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Have a great show, Kim. Great. And we'll uh, be right back. And when we get back, we'll be talking with Randall O'Toole. He's written a really important piece in Complete Colorado. He says this front-range commuter rail is a terrible idea, and we'll find out why. Are you looking for news, not propaganda? Ready for a news source you can actually trust? How about a news site that doesn't want to sell you a subscription? 
Visit CompleteColorado.com to see all the latest news from around Colorado. Complete Colorado's staff scours news sources from around the state and nation to bring you only the top stories that affect you right here in our great state. Updated three times a day, CompleteColorado.com has full-time reporters doing original investigations and reporting like newspapers used to do, as well as opinion and political commentary from a variety of Colorado voices. And CompleteColorado.com is the only place to read columnist Mike Rosen. Always fresh content, always free, always informed. CompleteColorado.com, your complete source for Colorado news. Come join the ADA Drive-In for all your favorite blockbuster movies. We're open seven days a week. Admission is only $9 per person and children under 12 are free. Friday, August 16th through Thursday, August 22nd, features will include Angry Birds 2, The Lion King, and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And remember our popular Monday through Thursday pizza special. Get one 12-inch pizza served fresh and hot from our oven and two tall, cool 16-ounce sodas, all for only 12 bucks. Plus, now you can top it all off with our new sweet, crunchy churros and a steaming cup of hot chocolate. For more information, go to our Facebook page or visit our website at 88drivein.net. You get more out of life when you go out to a movie. You'd like to get in touch with one of Kim Munson's sponsors, but you can't recall their phone number. Find a full list of advertising partners on americhicks.com. Hey, welcome back. I am Kim Munson, and we are dissecting issues as right versus wrong instead of right versus left, agree or disagree. Let's have a conversation. Thrilled to be having a conversation with Randall O'Toole. He's senior fellow at uh, the Cato Institute and director of the Transportation Policy Center at the Independence Institute, which is a free market think tank right here in Denver. And uh, he also has a blog, The Antiplanner. So, Randall O'Toole, welcome. Good morning. How are you? I am good. And uh, you have written a really important piece that's in the Complete Colorado. And just so you folks know, Complete Colorado aggregates news from all over the state. And that is on their page one. But if you click on the banner on page two, that's where all of this original content is. And Randall has written a piece. uh, The Front Range Commuter Rail is a Terrible Idea. And uh, so CDOT has now $2.5 million dollars. Uh, to go out and uh, have a request for proposals regarding this front-range commuter. Steve and I said, producer Steve and I said, that we would, for just half that, that we would let them know that people actually prefer their uh, their cars. But I don't know if CDOT's going to take us up on that or not. <laughs> so, Randall, you're, you, did I lose you on that one? No. Uh, <laughs> um, no, I don't think CDOT really cares. I think right now it's being ideologically driven uh, the legislature wants to study rail. Uh, people at CDOT want to study rail, uh, even though uh, it's not going to be used. I mean, just as an example, there's only about 2,000 people in Fort Collins who commute to Denver, and most of them aren't going to live near a train station or work near a train station, so the most of them aren't going to take a commuter rail to Denver, and so they're going to drive. So it doesn't matter. You build a commuter rail, it's not going to relieve congestion, it's not going to uh, save energy. It's not going to get people off the road. It's just going to spend a lot of money. And, of course, there are interest groups that want to see CDOT spend a lot of money on rail transportation because they make the profits from it. So that's what's going to be really driving this. Well, and I found it interesting in the first paragraph of your piece, you said that they are estimating the cost of the line would be anywhere from $5 billion to $15 billion. I mean, that's a big swing. I mean, I would think they could be a little bit closer on that. 
Well, I think the five billion is for a uh, uh, conventional train that goes, you know, 80 miles an hour at top speed. Which means the average speed is going to be about 50 miles an hour, uh, and the 15 billion is a low estimate for a high-speed rail line. But they've got a problem. They they're proposing to build a conventional train in the existing right-of-way of, of the Union Pacific or Burlington Northern Santa Fe rail lines. And UP and BNSF don't mind sharing a right-of-way with a conventional train, but they're not going to want to have high-speed trains in that right-of-way because if one of their freight trains derails and a high-speed train comes along and slams into it, a lot of people are going to die, and they don't want the liability. So what that means is uh, CDOT is saying we can spend 5 to $6 billion building a conventional train, hardly anybody's going to ride it, and then somebody's going to say, well, let's upgrade it to high-speed rail, and it's not going to be upgradable. You're going to have to spend a, start all over from scratch, spend probably 20 to $30 billion building high-speed rail. Even the high-speed rail advocates say this is a dumb idea. One of them says uh, that uh, it's, why should we build uh, a slow train that hardly anybody's going to ride. They want high-speed rail, but that's not going to work either because uh, it's not going to go fast enough. It's going to cost more than $20 billion, and it's not going to go fast enough to attract very many people out of their cars. So, Randall, why is there this romance with uh, trying to build rail? I mean, we've seen it with building light rail, and why is there this this push? I mean, it's so expensive, and it seems to just really want to try to get people out of their out of their cars. I mean, I don't quite understand it. Well, part of it is that we look at the past with uh, uh, you know green goggles. We think it was wonderful. Uh, there's one writer who says that just imagine that you're uh, uh, leaving your office in downtown Denver and going out to a wonderful suburb on a commuter train and uh, living in a beautiful house in that suburb. Um, It was a glorious way to live in 1889. The problem is that only 1% of the people lived that way in 1889 because that kind of transportation was really, really expensive. And we forget that. We think everybody can do that because everybody drives a car. Well, driving a car is really cheap compared to taking a train. And so almost everybody can afford a car, uh, but only 1% of the people can afford to ride a train unless it's heavily subsidized. And if everybody's using a train, then the subsidies are so enormous that uh, we've impoverished our urban areas trying to pay those subsidies. Well, and... Uh, my understanding is is that generally across the the board in in America, that the the fare actually only covers about twenty percent of the operating costs of public transit. Now I know you've done enormous uh, research on this, great research. Am I close on that? Or well, if you're just talking operating costs, the fare covers almost a third of operating costs. When you count capital costs and maintenance, however then it goes down to close to 20%. So uh, the problem is that uh, the, the rail advocates want us to pretend that capital costs don't count. They never talk about maintenance costs. Maintenance costs get really high when the, when the system gets a few years old, starts out really cheap, and then it starts getting real expensive as the system ages. And they pretend that doesn't count. I remember looking at 
uh, RTD's uh, financial plan, and the financial plan stopped at 25 years or 30 years ahead of time, and yet the real maintenance costs start then, so they just ignored those costs. So when you count total costs, then yes, you're about right, 20%. And that's, you know, we've come to accept that that's normal, that that makes sense. Uh, Amtrak is the same way. Half of Amtrak's costs are paid for by taxpayers. Why does that make sense? You look at uh, the cost of driving, and 95 to 96% of the costs are paid for by the users. And, yes, there is a small subsidy. I think we should get rid of that subsidy, but it's much smaller than the subsidy to uh, transit or to Amtrak. You know what? You, I think you read my mind because that was going to be my next question is uh, when I would bring up my concerns about the, the significant subsidies that are going to public transportation, in, in particular uh, light rail and these rail lines, then off the cuff I would hear from uh, bureaucrats and politicians, oh, yes, but roads are subsidized as well. And I'm like, what? what is it exactly? So there is a small subsidy, but it's primarily paid for by gas taxes. And on that, though, Randall, I remember doing research. A, a significant portion of gas tax money is being siphoned off and pushed over to these transit programs. So perhaps if you didn't do that, you, the maybe do you think that the, the gas taxes would actually pay for all the roads and bridges? Well, at the federal and state level, yes, uh, but gas taxes go to the states, or they go to the federal government, which distributes them to the states. And the states share a little bit of them with counties and cities, but counties and cities don't get enough gas taxes to pay for roads and streets, and so okay. the maintenance of those roads and streets generally is paid for out of property taxes. Now, you can argue that uh, the property owners get a, a benefit from being on a street that's, that's main, well-maintained, and so uh, it's appropriate to charge them. But it looks like a subsidy because the people who are driving on those streets aren't paying for them. And I think it would be best if we just got rid of that subsidy and paid for everything by the user, so that way they, could, they won't be able to argue that, oh, yes, you're getting a penny subsidy per passenger mile, so therefore we deserve a a dollar or two dollar subsidy per passenger mile for our rail transit boondoggle. Oh, that is absolutely fascinating. Okay, you know what? Let's go to break. Let's go back to your piece when we come back because you've you've talked about Colorado, uh, but you've you've um, actually looked at other states, other um, what do you call it, commuter rail. Uh, and uh, let's let's break that down on what's going on in Utah and some of these other places because I think it's very telling. And uh, so this is Kim Munson. I am talking with Randall O'Toole about his very important piece that is uh, in Complete Colorado, that the front-range commuter rail is a terrible idea. We'll be right back. Award-winning realtor Karen Levine has 30 years of experience with REMAX Alliance. As a director with the National Association of Realtors, Karen Levine works to protect private property rights. Karen Levine believes in homeownership. Because of Karen's love of dogs, Karen volunteers with GER, Golden Retriever Rescue of the Rockies, helping Golden Retrievers find their forever homes. Choose Karen Levine to buy or sell your home because she understands that it's more than just a house. 
Karen Levine comes highly recommended by the Americhicks with Kim Munson. Call award-winning realtor Karen Levine with Remax Alliance today at 303-877-7516. That's 303-877-7516. Don't miss Vino and Veritas, Wine and Truth, a study of the Federalist Papers. Join Kim Munson with the Americhicks at Water's Edge Winery in Centennial or Colorado Cork and Keg in Castle Rock. In Fort Collins, attend Vino and Veritas at Ginger and Baker. Kim Munson with the Americhicks would like to thank Presidential Wealth Management Loveland, Presidential Wealth Management Greenwood Village, Tina Francone with Straightforward Shooting, and Grand Lake U.S. Constitution Week for their generous support. Vino and Veritas, Wine and Truth, a study of the Federalist Papers. Sign up today at Americhicks.com. Hey, welcome back. I'm Kim Munson, and we are dissecting issues as right versus wrong instead of right versus left, agree or disagree. Let's have a conversation. Thrilled to have on the line with me Randall O'Toole, and we're talking about this uh, $2.5 million that's been earmarked by the Colorado legislature to see, to give to CDOT to do a study regarding a, um, a commuter light rail uh, from Pueblo to Fort Collins. And uh, Randall, it's really good. I, I always learn so much when you are on with us. So great, I greatly appreciate it. Well, uh, commuter rail is a little different from light rail. Light rail is electrically powered and operates in the streets. Commuter rail, uh, in this case, will be a diesel-powered train with uh, diesel pulling several passenger cars and will operate... Uh, Sometimes they operate on the same tracks as freight trains. This time they're talking about operating it in the same right-of-way on brand-new tracks that they, they plan to build in the right-of-way of UP or BNSF uh, rail lines. And that's going to be really expensive to build brand-new tracks. Uh, and we can look at Utah and see uh, how well it's going to work because Utah did a similar thing. They, they built a, a rail line from Ogden to Provo, about 81 miles, and it cost two and a half billion dollars, about half as much as uh, as, color, as CDOT is planning to spend on a uh, Fort Collins to Pueblo line. And they carry less than nine thousand round trips per weekday. That is, less than nine thousand people are taking this train to work. And that very high cost uh, for divided among nine thousand people works out to about $30 a trip or $60 a round trip. With that kind of money, they could have bought every single one of those daily riders a brand-new all-wheel-drive Toyota Prius, and not just one, but buy them a new one every other year for as long as they operate these trains. <laughs> oh, my and, gosh. And that's actually one of the more successful commuter rail lines. There are other commuter rail lines around the country, such as one between Dallas and Fort Worth, that cost as much, uh, cost enough money to buy people a new Toyota Prius every single year. So we have uh, the experience of Utah. Uh, you can also look at New Mexico to Colorado South, where they've got a commuter rail line between Santa Fe and Albuquerque. They're only carrying 1,400 people a day round trip between uh, Albuquerque and, and Santa Fe. 
and they're spending enough money to buy a new Toyota Prius for every round-trip rider every 15 months. So, you know, I, I don't propose that we actually buy anybody Toyota Priuses, but I think that's a good indication of how much money this is wasting and how Colorado's, which is going to cost a lot more than either Utah's or New Mexico's cost, uh, you could probably buy them a new Toyota Prius every six months. Wow. And the other thing that you said, and I hadn't thought about this, is how would this train be powered? And you said it's going to be powered by diesel. And diesel is uh, made from a fossil fuel, if I'm correct, right? Yeah, exactly. Now, there is such a thing as biodiesel, but most diesel comes from fossil fuels. And even biodiesel, usually only you, you usually only put 10 or 20% biodiesel into your diesel mix. So you're burning a lot of fossil fuels. And you look at these rail lines around the country, and they use more energy and emit more greenhouse gases per passenger mile than an average SUV. So if you're driving it around in the Lincoln Navigator, you're more environmentally friendly than the commuter rail lines like the, like the New Mexico line. Randall, why, why is there such an assault on people being in their cars? Because I, I, I think that, you know, we, you see CDOT doing these different studies about congestion and, and getting people out of their cars. You know, they're going to be doing a listening tour uh, all over the state about the, the way people like to travel. And to me, it doesn't seem like it takes a rocket scientist to figure out that people are actually voting with their car. They're letting you know how they want to travel when they are in, in sitting in traffic. I think they just want they want that problem solved instead of, uh, and the, I don't think the answer is, or they don't think the answer is, getting them out of their cars. There's got to be a different answer. And it just seems to me like you don't have to do a listening tour to figure out how people want to travel. How would you respond? Well, there's two ways of doing transportation planning. One is to uh, uh, figure out how people want to travel and then try to make that travel as safe and efficient as possible. And as you say, 90% of travel in the United States is by car. It's not quite 90%, but uh, ground travel, it is 90% if you, if you discount airline travel. Uh, and the other way is to imagine that people travel the way you think they want to travel or you think that they ought to travel, and then design a system for them and then hope that they'll actually travel that way because that's the way you designed it. And in order to get them out of their cars, you allow congestion to rise to terrible levels and hope that they'll stop driving. Well, that never works. It's never worked anywhere. Uh, we still have 80 to 90 percent of all travel, and every urban area in America is by car, uh, and so it's not going to uh, do anything. Why do they do that? I think it's because uh, different people have different reasons, but for a lot of them it's about control. If, if you get people out of their cars and on the mass transit, you decide where the mass transit goes. And then people can only travel to where that mass transit goes, which means you can then decide where people get to go. If you let people drive, they're going to go to places that you might not want them to go. For example, Denver has an urban growth boundary. If you let people drive, they'll drive outside the boundary. They'll build houses outside the boundary. That would be terrible. So <laughs> you have... Uh, mass transit that only goes within the boundary 
And if you get people out of their cars, then they can't leave the boundary. They're pinned in. And that's the way they ought to be. Well, and that that is, and that segues over. We only have about four minutes left, but uh, I think that you've taken a look at it, and I'm trying to work my way through Blueprint Denver, which was just passed by the city council back in April. And what I see in that is that these politicians and bureaucrats and interested parties, I'm calling them PBIs, are doing exactly what you're saying. They are trying to keep people into specific neighborhoods, and and it's it's kind of rampant throughout Blueprint Denver that they're going to use rezoning um, um, policy to to accomplish that, and they're going to map every single um, piece of of real estate in in uh, in Denver to make it an inclusive Denver, so that it it hits these certain parameters, and I actually. I find it kind of terrifying, Randall. Well, it's uh, something that's been very popular on the West Coast in Seattle, Portland, San Francisco, Los Angeles. Uh, They draw urban growth boundaries, and then they demand that developers build higher densities within those boundaries. Of course, high-density housing costs more per square foot than a conventional single-family home. Uh, So they say, we're going to have affordable housing, which means you're going to have a 600-square-foot apartment, and that's going to be affordable. It's going to cost about the same as a 2,000-square-foot house, but they consider that affordable. And uh, it's, uh, to me, it's social engineering at its worst. Uh, we already tried that. We, I mean, uh, 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 Earthlings tried that <laughs> in a part of the world known as the Soviet Union. Uh, they built all these high-density apartments, and they built mass transit, and they wouldn't let people buy cars. And uh, it proved to be very inefficient. It made people unhappy. And I don't know if you saw the Chernobyl uh, uh, HBO series a, a few weeks ago, but it depicted all these people who were assigned little teeny apartments and then living in these high-rises all over the place. And that's the way people in, in uh, the Soviet Union lived. As soon as they got their freedom, they went out and bought single-family homes and they bought cars. And now they don't live that way anymore, most of them. Well, but and they did for a while. And for some reason, we have this uh, mentality that that's the way Americans ought to live. And I think it's ridiculous. I mean, Colorado is not exactly running out of land. No, we're not. And we're just about out of time. First of all, I want to mention your website. It is uh, the ant. Uh, what is it? Uh, the Antiplanner. Anti Planner. Just Google Antiplanner, and I'm the first thing on the list. Got it. And I've got it right here in all kinds of information here. So first of all, you know, we talk about getting, understand these issues. And an important place to do this is the anti-planner. You said it's dedicated to the sunset of government planning. How about we plan our lives instead of government? I think that is a really, really good idea. So Randall O'Toole, we've, what you have just described, this is what is in Blueprint Denver to get people out of their cars into these teeny tiny little apartments. You see them up and down the corridor now. They're starting to look like the Soviet Union. What can we do? Uh, we've got about a minute. What can we do? Well, I think it's time to start electing officials, both at the state and the city level, who are skeptical of these ideas, who aren't going to believe all the urban planners on their staffs. And, you know, people have to stand up and say, look, just because some urban planner says something that they learned in planning school years ago doesn't make it right for how I want to live my life. 
Well, my gosh, you got that. And so we need to get our brains around these and we need to support people that are are stepping up to run on these city councils. And I think we've been a little bit behind on that because, you know, everyday people are out there working and, and kind of assuming. I think that they've assumed that they're uh, elected officials at the local level have their best interests in mind. And as I've and I served for four years on city council uh, of my town, and I realized that uh, I could kind of smell what was going on. I, I saw that I kind of smelled that there was danger. I didn't quite understand it. But as I'm working through this blueprint Denver, you know, we need to, to push back on that. That's for sure. Rana O'Toole, it is always a pleasure to have you on the show. I greatly appreciate your, your dedication to this, your hard work, and uh, you really understand the numbers. Thank you so much. Well, I'm happy to do it, even if I had to get up at 530 my time. I know you're on the Pacific Coast. Thank you so much. And our quote for today is Lee Iacocca. Uh, Lee Iacocca. He says, one of the things the government can't do is run anything. The only things our government runs are the post office and the railroads, and both of them are bankrupt. So today, read great books, think good thoughts, listen to beautiful music, communicate and listen well, live honestly and authentically, strive for high ideals, and like Superman, stand for truth, justice, and the American way. This is Kim Munson, uh, Kim Munson signing off. God bless you, and God bless America.